Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are on episode 150, so kind of a big landmark uh, reach for us. And tonight, we were planning on interviewing Ryan LaPlante, a fantastic player who is a World Series of Poker bracelet winner, a coach, and we actually had to defer that. Ryan was running deep in a big tournament, and so uh, he has rescheduled and we're looking at finalizing that date. It'll probably be sometime in November. So a bummer, but tonight we are actually going to talk about some hands from the recent Fall Poker Classic, uh, which happened at a casino that is other than our sponsor, and so we won't name them, but uh, if you're in the Minnesota area, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we are excited to talk about that, some hands, especially from Chris Jones and some others who have been playing some some tournaments there. So some real live uh, rec player hands that we're going to dissect and dig into, and it should be a good time. Uh, I do want to thank our official sponsor, who is Running Aces Racetrack and Casino. They've been with us from the beginning, so 150 episodes with them as our sponsor, and really big shout out to them. Thank you guys for continuing to support us in that way. And as part of their sponsorship, we share with you the players of the week, the top four players who earn points throughout the week, earn some bonus tournament lammers. So Brian Morey uh, led the field with 34 points, followed by Greg Hill, Tony Wilson, and Bernie Conkey. So congratulations to those guys. Some real high-level announcements. Um, we have our Discord site, which is basically a group chat site. That's open to the public. Anybody can be part of that thing. So if you like to talk poker and encourage each other, rail each other, and celebrate victories, go jump onto that. It's free of charge. It's a fantastic community that's building there. If you want to have access to all of our content, we're producing multiple videos every week. This sort of discussion stuff that we do on the podcast, we do even in more depth with experts, with specific hand breakdowns. We break down MSPT final tables, all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can go to rec.poker, find out about membership out there, and then you can try it. Uh, 30 days for free. After that, it's 10 bucks a month. So pretty good deal. And by being a member, you also have access to be part of these interviews. Uh, or any of these podcast recordings that we do, any of our panel discussions, uh, you can be part of those and co-create the content with us. So it's a very unique sort of opportunity for a membership site to be part of co-creating content and building community that way. So please check that out. <clears throat> Quick update on our NFL survivor pool, which I busted out of a couple of weeks ago. We're down to 15 people. We lost another eight people this weekend. So down to 15 people left in the NFL survivor pool. And a few things coming up quick. Uh, this Wednesday, October 9th, we have two opportunities for you. Uh, for those who are members of the Rec Poker community, even if you're just on a trial basis. From 4 o'clock until 5.30 p.m. Central Time, we're just going to have some open hours for beginning players. So if you are more of a, a beginning player or less experienced player, and if you're available starting at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, we've got a link in the membership site. You go to the events and click on the link and you can join. And we're just going to have an open discussion, whatever you want to talk about, whether that's basic strategy, how to play in a casino, special rules you should consider, uh, poker math, whatever that is, uh, you can jump in there. Also that evening at 6.30 p.m., again, this is Wednesday, October 9th, we have our third session of our book study. We are going through the Andrew Brokus book, uh, Playing Optimal Poker led by Shan Bhattacharya. So jump in there as well if you would like. October 10th, this is a Thursday night from 8.30 to 10 p.m. We're just going to have kind of a community meet and greet, 
greet, mutant greet online. Just uh, an introduction to myself, some of the people who are part of the regular panels, and just kind of hanging out and getting to know each other, hear each other's stories, uh, celebrate successes. Uh, 8.30 to 10 p.m., jump in whenever it works for you. And the link for that is also on the membership, membership site. October 12th is a Saturday, 8 a.m. in the morning, Central Standard Time. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Alec Torelli. Normally, we do our podcast interviews on Monday nights. Alec is over in Italy, and this is what worked for his schedule. So 8 a.m., Saturday morning, join if you can. Uh, if you're a member, you can get the link on the membership site. And then next Wednesday, October 16th, we're going to be doing a MSPT final table breakdown. We go through the whole final table and do commentary, kind of nerding it up, uh, digging into all the hands. Uh, members are welcome to join that, um, and the link is in the membership site. So check that stuff out. Uh, if you're not on the email newsletter, uh, once a week I send out an email newsletter with everything going on, get on that. You can just go to rec.poker. At the bottom of any of the pages, you can sign up to be on the newsletter that way. So with that, today we're going to be talking about, as I mentioned, some of the hands from the Fall Poker Classic, uh, specifically hands that Chris Jones has brought up. And uh, we might have some others that are bringing up hands as well. And so with that, I'll, I'll end the announcements here and we will join that interview uh, that we recorded. Great. All right, guys. So now we are here with the panel. We got Chris Jones and John Somsky here, both participated in the Fall Poker Classic. So, uh, Chris, I'll just turn it over to you, man. First of all, great run, dude. Tell us a little yeah. bit about kind of where you finished, the size of the field and, and all those things. Thanks. Uh, yeah, we had uh, 386 runners, um, and I finished uh, seventh. Uh, kind of, I got to the final table with a little better than average stack. A, a, a couple of things went wrong at the final table for me, but uh, <laughs> it, it was it was a it was a good run, and um, it was really fun. So, and it's part of what I love about the Discord channel that we have, and kind of this rec poker community. I don't know. I mean, hopefully, you weren't feeling any pressure to give updates, but I know there's a bunch of us just like waiting. Hey, has anybody heard from Chris? Has anybody heard from Chris? And I know Taylor had stopped by there to play a tournament. So he, he was railing you a little bit there. And I just love that, that sense of community. Hopefully you felt good about that. And didn't yeah, no, it was great. It was great. I even saw some action shots of me and like, yeah. one of the, what, actually one of the hands that I brought to, for us to talk about is uh, there's actually a photo. I think that it was either from somebody, the Twitter or from Taylor's photo of, of a very big decision I had. So yeah, that was a Twitter shot. Cause I, we were like trying to figure out, okay, it looks like, looks like Chris <laughs> raised and she shoved and looks like he has a big decision. And then, and then uh, we were watching the um, the Bravo app too, and shortly after that picture came out, it dropped from like whatever nine to eight people, and we're like, "Oh God, I hope it's not Chris." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I ultimately, well, I won't tell you what I ultimately did. Okay. We'll yeah. You, uh, uh, you could could see if I did did right or not. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Go go ahead and share with us the hands that you want to talk about. Okay. Well, the the. First hand, maybe I'll talk about that big hand and then we can talk because I know John wanted to talk some ICM stuff and that's sort of yeah. the, other, the other hand that I brought. But so there was this big spot um, for me and I, I think actually one of the reasons I'm, I'm bringing it here is I, I think I made a pretty big mistake in this hand, but I'll be curious what others think. And I, it's a spot that I find myself in a lot. Um, speak, uh, you know, our member site, we were asking them about topics they want to talk about. Uh, and the the biggest thing people uh, have responded so far is defending the big blind, and this mm. is a this is a defending the big blind hand. So um, basically, we're down to twelve. Um, uh, we're at the fifteen k, thirty k, thirty k level, uh, and I've got one point eight million in chips. So I've got a really big 
deck. Um, but the, and I'm in the big blind. Um, the small blind, however, is the uh, table chip leader. Um, she has about 3 million in chips. So we're both very deep, but she's, she's really deep. Um, and it folds to her in the small blind. Um, and she opens for 75 K, uh, in the big blind, I decide to complete, um, with uh, king of spades, nine of diamonds. Um, I, you know, I might consider some raises here. Um, I have a personal, uh, real big affliction to king nine as, as a specific hand. Um, because I feel like even when you hit gin with this hand, um, you're so often, in a really bad spot or a spot where you're really like, you know, that, that, that queen Jack 10 sort of Broadway flop is, is even though it's awesome, it's, it's a dangerous spot with King nine. Right. So um, it's a hand I actually really hate. It's one of my least favorite hands, but I feel I, it's too strong to fold here. Um, so I elect to call. So okay. a question before we continue, what was your, how long had you been playing with the small blind at this point? I had been moved to this table when we got down to uh, 18. So when we, there were two tables left. So, but uh, it didn't, it took us very little time to get down to 12. It took us a lot of time to get to the final table. So once we got to 12, we were stuck for quite a long time, a couple of levels, actually. I am trying to remember at what point this was in that process. I think it's very early. So I think I've only been playing probably for maybe 20 or 30 minutes with this player. Um, she's a player I don't recognize, but other people did. So I took her as a, as somewhat of a reg. Um, and um, she actually won this event last year. I, I got that from the table conversation. So I took her as a, as a reg, somebody who's uh, definitely competent, um, but I don't know much about her playing style. So, so what type of, hands do you think she was raising from the small mall blind with i you know i think that she's she's gonna have uh a uh opening up her 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 range here a bit um i'm i'm putting her you know i i think in a lot of cases i can have the better hand here i think i'm putting her on a number of um you know well, you know, all the big hands, small, you know, all the pairs, all the broadways. Um, but I'm also putting her um, on um, suited connectors down to probably, uh, you know, five, six, uh, maybe six, seven. Um, some of the one gappers. Um, it's a pretty wide range at this point for me. Um, yeah. I, I would I would expect her to open, you know, probably in that. 50, you know, I didn't also have a sense of whether she's somebody who likes to limp the small blind or just raise her small blind when it folds to her. Um, you know, more and more I'm seeing the strategy of um, limping or completing your small blind. Um, but she, I hadn't seen this happen with her before, so I, I didn't know whether to interpret this as just what she does with her entire, you know, stronger opening range or whether she might have a, this is puts her in the sort of more polarized set of her range. Cause it was folded around to the small blind, correct? Yeah. So folded, she, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so do you think she's opening like any ACE, like ACE three offsuit, even I, I would, like that? I would assume so. Yes. 
Um, the only reason that where I'm I'm unsure and I like to sort of see is like those might be hands that somebody might limp. Um, so, right. but I, I at this point I'm putting at, when I'm ranging somebody and I don't know much about them I'm I'm putting them I'm including all the aces. And with yeah, her- I know if I were in that position with that stack size, right. I'd be raising. I, I wouldn't. I'd probably have no limping range. Yeah, yeah. It'd be uh, 100% fold or raise, and my raising range would be huge. Right. Yep. I totally agree. And so, just just real quick, Rob just joined us. So I, not to. We don't want to go back for all of the the broadcast, but but just Rob, really quick. Chris is in a blind versus blind spot. A gal with 100 bigs with 12 people left. Uh, Opened from the small blind, and Chris has king nine offsuit in the big blind. Yep. With and with I've got about sixty 50, bigs. Yeah, sixty bigs. 50, yeah, 50, yep. yeah, something like that. Um, so we got one hundred and eighty k in the pot. Um, the flop comes again. I have king of spades, and that uh, king of spades is going to be very important in this hand. And the nine of diamonds, um, and the flop comes ace of spades, nine of hearts, three of spades. <laughs> So you know it's a it's a it's a nice flop for me. It's not um, given that we just said that she probably has all the aces in her range. She probably has all the suited sort of one gappers and connectors in her range. So she's got a lot of spades in her hand. Um, it's it's a nice flop, but it's not a great flop. Um, and she continues for 125k into that 180k pot, which is a pretty decent size uh, bet. Um, but I, you know, with with the pair and the backdoor flush draw, I I really think I have no choice here, and I don't think it's probably controversial. But I, I call. I think that's the only play here. But unless anyone wants to tell me I'm wrong, the only other thing I could do, is, but it would be, I think folding is out of the question. Yeah. Uh, but I could see an argument being made for a raise. But I think you'd have to have a better feel on what the player would do uh, in order to do that. Yeah. And it's a kind of hand, I mean, I guess you're, you're at that point, if you're raising, you're raising uh, with the intention of folding to anything and um, other aggression, but the, yeah, it becomes a semi bluff at that point. Right, right. You're, you're hoping to take it down right there just in case she's just doing a blind continuation bet. Right. Right. Yeah. If if you raise there and she calls, you're probably going to get a lot of free turn cards. You know, you do have some fold equity there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you could hit a lot of good turn cards. Um, I kind of like the flat just because of you know stack size. You have enough chips, but boy, do you do you really want to end up playing for a sixty big blind stack with twelve people left right. with middle pair? You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you were going to raise it, I'd right. almost just be a, a click back. You know, a min bet to maybe. 250 275 something like that i think think you're sitting there with a condensed range so don't you just want to check that or call it i mean yeah that's that was my impression and the the other reason i i didn't want to raise here is i feel like i a lot of the time uh i have the best hand here yeah um and i'm not sure that i want to get into a raising war with the chip leader uh, with a hand that, that quite often is the best hand. I mean, I'm still nervous about the ace. Um, she definitely has spade draws so that, you know, maybe the raise is getting her off some of that equity, but she's not, she's not folding spades to, to a raise here anyway. So right. I'm not sure what I'm trying to get her off of that is beating me. 
Yeah, that's the thing. You can get you can get her off of those Queen Jack, Jack Ten sort of hands, but why do you, you don't really want that to happen? Right, right. I think you talked me into it. I think you taught raising's probably a bad idea. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I, I make the mistake of the next uh, the, the next. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll see where this goes. So anyway, there's 430k in the pot. So far, it's pretty un, uncontroversial. Um, I have 1.4 million behind. The turn is the six of spades. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is a real nice card for me, um, I think. So I now have second pair still with the nut flush draw. Uh, she she bets into me 175k into that 430k pot, and this is the spot before I tell you what I did, where I think I made a mistake. But uh, I have a curious what what what's your play here? I think I'm still just calling here. I think I'm still underrepresenting my nine a little bit. I think I'm trying to see. I'm trying to realize that equity with the king of spades. Um, I mean, you can you can make an argument for for making a big aggressive play here. I just don't know if I I love it because if she goes 175, I mean, I guess John likes more of a, a click back. But if you go to 400 or 500k, which is sort of a you know probably where I would end up probably if I re-raise, I'd probably go to like. 450 or something like that or 425 then you know that's a third to a 40 percent of my stack can i can i fold then and if i'm not going to fold to to her re-raise do i just jam here so and which i don't love either like if she has spades or she has an ace or a set or something i i don't love it but i, I think for me it's just a call and let's just see see if i can hit the magic on the river or hopefully not have a too difficult of a decision on the river. Yeah. Based upon her betting so far, a river bets probably going to be in the 250, 300 K range. Mm-hmm. And I think you can still comfortably call that. Yep. Um, and I still think even if she makes that river bet, a non-trivial portion of the time, you're going to be ahead because she might be doing this with nine, 10 with like the 10 of spades. Um, or, uh, she may already have two spades too, in which case you definitely don't want to be bloating the pot yep. at this point in time. Um, so I, I, I think I'm with Steve. I like the call. Do you I, read anything into her bet sizing there? I mean, obviously she's a good player. She won it last year. You know, she went two thirds, pot on flop and then she you know she ratchets it down to 40 percent on turn i mean do we read that as she's just not trying to she's trying to you know semi-bluff but doesn't want to risk many chips or do we read that as like a value heavy sort of bet or did you how did you reconcile i i uh, well (laughs) based on what i did i read it as weak but i'd be curious what you think i i mean i i really felt okay if if she's bets has basically raised and or opened and then bet the turn and now bet or bet the uh, flop and then bet the turn. Um, but she's down bet on this turn. I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, I guess if I'm, if I have just hit knowing that I have the King of spades, I mean, you know, if she's got, uh, you know, queen Jack of spades, queen 10 of spades, something like that. I don't, I, I, I'm I'm thinking she's she's sizing that up a bit more, but but maybe maybe not, maybe because not. If she, yeah, because if she if she has a made hand that's not a flush, 
I mean, you think there she would size up, right? Don't you think if right. she was like ace six or ace mm-hmm. nine or ace three mm-hmm. or pocket threes? Mm-hmm. I, See, I, I think, think that that, that is is really polarizing to me. It reads either she's got a flush and one that she's not too worried about. Mm-hmm. So something like queen jack, jack 10. Um, or she's got, you know, maybe a naked ace um, and just wants to. It's a blocker battle. Right. 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 I mean, so it, it, or, or she could have nine ten with the 10 of spades too. Right. Right. Um, so you might still be winning, but. And because, so here's, here's where, where my thinking went and I, it may be a, and based on the conversation and, and as I've thought about this hand in retrospect, I, I think everybody, what you just said is all right. But what I was thinking during this hand <laughs> is there are so few spade combinations that she has that can do this. And there are so many aces in her range still. And I think I can get her off of an ace. So that's where my thinking led when I, I did raise to 500K. Um, and then she snap shoved. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and we can talk about that spot in a second. But, but where, where my thinking was on this was I can get her off of an ace um, with, with a raise here. Um, but I'm thinking now that, I don't know, I, I have so much both showdown and potential uh, sort of nut flush equity that this is a, this is pretty much a clear call. If I had queen or if I had King eight of Mm, mm. King spades, eight of diamonds or King 10 or something like that, you know, without that pair, I I like this play a lot better. Um, But I, 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 in this spot, I don't, I don't think it's the right play. Let me ask you a question because I missed the beginning. Was this a raised pre pre flop? She was small blind and raised uh, from. It was a, we're at the fifteen k thirty k blind. She raised to seventy five k and I called. Okay. I mean, she's got she's got the goods in her hand. She's got she's got pocket aces in her range mm-hmm. very much of the time here. Right. It's too aggressive. I mean, she's very aggressive on both streets. If she had something like ace king, ace queen, something that, you know, she hit high pair, top pair, but then the board flushed out, I don't think she'd be as aggressive, especially going all in. You've got the nut flush draw, so that takes that bluff yep. out of her range. So, yeah. I one One thing to keep in mind, too, Rob, that might – color it a little bit is she has about 3 million in chips right now compared to Chris's 1.8 million. So they're both very deep stacked. Um, which I, uh, which I think widens her raising range pre-flop a little bit. Uh, particularly since she has Chris out stacked, uh, because Chris is a big stack and he's big enough that he doesn't need to, to tangle with her that she might think she can get away with a little more. Mm -hmm. I don't like that logic. I think if you've got a big stack, you don't want to tangle with another big stack. You don't want to risk that. I mean, again, we talked about ICM and that sort of thing. The chips that you lose are much more valuable than the chips that you from an ICM standpoint, right? I mean, for her to go from three million to what four million, 
if she got a million of Chris's chips is not significant. Those million chips are not worth her risking uh, 1.8 million of her mm-hmm. chips to get Chris's chips. So I just think she's really strong. I I don't like this spot at all. I'm throwing up in my mouth. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm probably folding right now, reserving what I've got left to yep. look for a better spot. Yeah, so basically the situation now is that I have to if if uh I've got one card to come, um I at this point I'm doing the math in my head. I'm pretty much thinking I'm down to nine and maybe seven outs if she's already got a flush. Um and I need twenty five percent equity to call. So I, I really can't I can't call unless I can put her on some more bluffs or um you know, if there's some possible hands where if a king or a nine comes and can make me a winner, which I can't find many ways that it can, that's the only way I think I can call this. Um, so I ended up after a very long tank and very much wanting to call um, and wanting to chase, I, I ended up folding, um, kind of frustrated myself that I've just kind of blown up you know, half of my stack pretty much on this, on this hand where I think I really made a mistake on that turn. Well, you still have, you saw like 1.2 million left, right? So it's still 40 yeah. bigs, you know, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a 30 year stack. I don't, I mean, yeah, the one, the one thing that's interesting is, and I wouldn't have thought of this if I was playing it live, but now that I'm thinking about it, you know, when she, when she bets the flop that has an ACE nine, three, two spades in it, and then you call, I mean, her her radar should be up like, okay, what does this guy have? Mm-hmm. He, he has an ace, he has a nine, he has spades. You know, he could have a set. I mean, what you know, there, you know there's only so many things that you're going to have where you call pre and then you call on the flop. And then a spade comes, which if she's worried about you having spades, should slow her down a little bit, you'd think. But she mm-hmm. continues. You know, and so does that, you know, I'm asking that as a question. Maybe she wants to just kind of see where you're at, see if that'll scare you away if you have an ace or a nine. but you know, she continues when one of the worst cards off the deck rolls off if she thinks you're on a spade draw. Right. She continues and she downsizes. You know, that that is sort of a signal of strength, I suppose. Like, she, you know what I mean? Like, she's not really slowing down when one of your draw cards gets there. Well, we, we know for sure she's doing it with less than the nuts. Right. Because Correct. Chris holds the king of spades. Um, but I would be... You put in in your email, you put a few hands she had. I don't think she would even do this with a hand as weak as the Queen of Spades and an offsuit nine. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she's either got the flush already or I really like the, you know, an ace queen, ace jack with the the lower card being the spade. Right. Um, I think is really likely as well right and th- those are actually i mean she's bluffing at that point but i'm still losing to her bluff <laughs> so uh, you know i feel i you know i feel like there's there's no choice here but to really fold i mean i can't really the only thing like is she if she's possibly doing this with you know still a strong ace um that doesn't have a spade then you know like an, but i just i don't think she's doing it right i don't think I, I just, I can't, you know, I mean, she can't call. She can't call with like, if she's got ace king without a spade, she can't really call that bet. 
but are you going to turn it into, are you going to jam for that much with that? I just, I can't, I couldn't do it. So, well, even if that's what she's doing, you still only have like 14 outs. Right. Right. You know, right. Right. But I think if I have, if I have 14 outs, I can make this call. Well, I can probably make this call from an EV perspective. You can make the call. It's just an ICM perspective. Is that the right play? Yeah. Like kind of Rob saying, obviously you got the, you know, sort of this utility curve sort of thing of, uh, you know, you, you call off there in that spot, but obviously that's, that's if you know what she has and <laughs> that's just right, right. one part of her range that you've sort of underweighted that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a fold once you've done the 500 and once it gets shipped, I think it's a fold. Yeah. I think your, your question is really, is it, is that re-raise right. a profitable and re-raise? The, the other thing I thought I'm <laughs> like, as I was driving home from the, the tournament, <laughs> you know, cause this is not the hand I went out on. I, you know, I right. went on and I, I did, did fine. I played for several more hours after this, but it was a hand that stuck with me for a long time. And I feel like if you're going to do this, like, and I still think this is not the right play. I think the right play is to call. But if you're going to do this, I think you need to raise even bigger, probably to a shove, where you take advantage of your king space to the to the maximum capacity. Because even if she's got a flush, then she doesn't have the nut flush, and you're putting all the potential pressure on her rather than allowing her to put that back on you. I still think that's not the right play. I still think calling is the right play, but I feel like I even in raising, I made the wrong play. So, so when when you raised. Um... How much money was in the pot at that point? Uh, let's see. We we went four thirty. So there's uh, one point four million. So her your, her bet went to one point six, and then you went five hundred, right? Yep. So one point four to start the turn. Yep. Okay, so, so one point six, and you had how much behind at that point? Uh, I had about nine hundred k. Oh. And you bet no. That was after or before you raised to five hundred after yeah you had 1.4 you so you had 1.4 before so it's barely an oversized pot sized raise right so i think you're right if you are going to raise particularly with the king of spades there the move is to shove yep Uh, because (laughs) i think even even if she's sitting on even if she has a made flush at that point that's a really hard call for her. Yeah, she yeah. has to call 1.4 million. If you got is, Jack Ten of Spades or something there, are you? It's, you're probably doing it, but it's a it's it's not comfortable, right? And a hand like Ace Queen with the Queen of Spades, I think she finds a fold there, even though that hand is a really strong hand and has a lot of equity against a lot of ranges. Yep. Yep. Um, and so it's, so it's either, I mean, I, yeah, either the bigger raise or, I mean, could you justify a small raise there? I mean, 175 to 350 and give yourself an out there. Hmm, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's one or the other, I think kind of where you left yourself sort of this tricky spot there. I'm not saying it's the right answer, but I mean, that's another option is to say, well, if I raise here to, you know, 350, 375, she shoves, it's an easy, easier getaway. Uh, but there's also the potential that if she's doing this with light or potentially you get you know, just the call there and then check, check on the river. Well, the the thing I don't like about the clickback raise on that is that what my intention one was with this raise was to get her off an, uh, you know, a non-flush hand, basically an mm-hmm. ace. Mm-hmm. So um, if, if she, I think a clickback, if you've got ace king, ace queen, it's a pretty, pretty easy call. Yep. 
I think. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I'd be attacking maybe different parts of her range. Yeah. Not, yeah. You're, you're right. I think if you're attacking that part of her range, you probably have to go bigger. If you're attacking some other crappy part of her range that she's screwing around with, you know, the King Jack with one spade or, or Queen Jack with one spade or pocket eights or something like that, depending on the kind of player it is, then you can get away with a more of a min click. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Whereas if, if you just call here, there's a good chance that for the same 500 K you put in the pot, you'd be able to see the river. Yep. Um, and yeah. boy, did I want to see that river. <laughs> <laughs> right. Rabbit hunt, rabbit hunt. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a call all the way. I mean, once you get to that spot, there's nothing you can do there, but call. Hope yep. you get lucky on the river. Yep. And then the, the piece of I, I like about it too is, you know, is your, this, this idea of underrepresenting your hand. Mm-hmm. If she is screwing around with pocket eights or, op, you know, some red king queen or something like that, you're giving her a little bit of rope. You know, your nine might be good there in a lot of spot, a lot of times, or she might have queen nine right, or something like that, you know? Um, so you give her a little bit of rope and potentially you get to see a cheap showdown and, and it guarantees you're going to, you know, when you just call there, it guarantees you get to see the river. And that's, I think that's the mistake I made. I focused on what's the, top end of her range, not the top end of her range, besides right. flushes, what's the top end of her range that is currently beating me that I can try to get her off of, which is what I was trying to do with the raise. But I f- think I forgot or neglected the part of her range that I'm potentially still beating. And going to that river is so valuable for me. Um, and so it's it's just, a, it's a clear call, but it's, it's one that um, I thought was kind of interesting to talk about and, and it's a mistake that I'm going to try to be more cognizant of and not just, cause I think it's real easy to make, you know, I think the, the one spade on a three spade board when you've got the nut spade is such an easy bluff to consider, right? Cause you, mm-hmm. it's, it's you either have it or you don't, and it's so powerful to have it. So it's, it's an easy bluff to make, but I think you have to pick your spots better mm-hmm. than I did here. And I, John was very true with the stack depth the way that it was. She's not going away for a small raise like that because now you're making the pot bigger than what you have left in your stack, and you can no longer threaten her. You know, I mean, it's just your your fold equity is all in. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, for me, it's part of it's fold equity, and I, I don't disagree with that, Rob, too. I think part of it is it's almost like a river block bet when you re-raise turn small. Um, you know, she goes 175, you go 375. You know, if she ships, you just fold. If she calls, then what is she going to do in the river? Like, mm-hmm. what right. is she going to do there? Once she just called your re-raise on the turn, she's not super strong, probably. She probably doesn't have like a queen eye flush. So then you might just get to go check, check on the river. Right. Or far cheaper. Right. So that's part of that, that strategy. And that's that power position too. I think I, yeah. in, in raising here, I've kind of given up that. Um, and that's an, another thing that, that I think was a mistake here. So it, it was a pretty butchered hand, but uh, <laughs> it's, I hope, hope we all can learn from it a little. Yeah. I think, I think it's a call too, but I think it's, I think it's a good one to assess. And I think, you know, have you been playing where you're trying to look for spots to be more aggressive or was this just, you know, I'm, I'm particularly trying in, um, I think late in tournaments, uh, when it gets to the sort of that the the final table bubble, the money bubble, the those kinds of pressure situations, I was generally somebody who would become 
much more passive in my play. Um, you know, I try to ladder up. I try to get to that final mm-hmm. table. I try to get to the bubble. And I've really been trying to push myself that, that no, when you see the, you know, the Wazwazes of the world or the Matt Alexanders of the world, that's when they make their huge stacks, right? They're, they're not trying to, you know, right. survive into the final table. They're trying to arrive there with a monster stack. And so I'm trying to, I think I picked a bad spot here, but I'm trying to push myself to find better yeah. spots to do that. Yeah. Well, I'd say kudos to you at least for, you know, if you're for trying to be intentional with that spot, yeah, maybe it wasn't a good spot, but you know, that's, I think part of how we learn through this thing is you kind of do some things you're like, Oh shoot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know I guess if she folded, maybe you would have felt like a hero. I don't know. Yeah. We'd still be yeah. talking about the same. Yeah, be... folded. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but this is, I think it's a really good hand. And I think it's, it's one of those spots where we talk about all the time where it's a lot easier after the, after the fact to sort of assess it. But in the moment, I've been there many times where you think, man, this would be a good raise spot. <laughs> this would be, you know, I can get her off of this. You know, I yeah. mean, it's hard to kind of back up and separate was, yourself from the logical side. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. I'm, I'm so uh, dinosaur mind that I would probably just jam all in right there. <laughs> if I ever thought I was going to raise, it would just be, okay, I'm just going to jam because no matter what happens, I still have a out to the nuts. Right. Yeah. <laughs> dinosaur mind. That's yeah, that's yeah, the rip time, you know, it just there's no thinking anymore. It's just all, you know, instinct and you know. You know dinosaurs are extinct, Rob, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> well, did you guys want to do another one, Chris? That's that's a good yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, especially when you think you butchered it. So um, this one is another one that that I I'm really interested in terms of uh, final table ICM type play. You know, I think um, one of the things that I think is more common to focus on are those sort of push shove charts and like when when do I shove and how many big blinds do I have and what's my you know range at that point. But the part that I think is is gets a little bit more nuanced and dicey is that calling range, um, especially when you're on a semi you know not great stack um so this is a situation that came up um we're at the final table down to eight people blinds are 25k 50k and 50k um from the hijack uh shoves uh his stack for 365k so a very small stack at this point and it folds to me in the small blind and i have 1.6 million and i have ace of diamonds and six of diamonds and, um, you know, Taylor Moss contributed a little bit of feedback on this hand, thinking that actually folding is a, a consideration here. I personally feel like folding is somewhat out of the question, given how light this hijack shove can be. Um, and with a hand like Ace of Diamonds, Six of Diamonds, I feel like you you have enough equity to uh, take a chance, knock out a player, move up a spot, um, and um, and likely you've got um, a pretty good hand at this point, but, um, but, and so we can talk about folding, but even if we're not folding, um, I, this is a spot where I feel like the ICM, uh, kind of thing that's gremlins start talking to me and whether this is a shove to isolate, um, and then you're risking that chance that the big blind wakes up with some monster and you go out with, with the hijack, or is this a call which it does two things. It invites the big blind to see the flop with you with a really wide range. Oh, by the way, the big blind covers us both. Um, 
Or do you know by how much, like, like how big their stack was? Uh, he had about, uh, I'm trying to remember at this point in the term, he had about 2.1 million, I think at this point. Okay. So not, not like, doesn't really cover me, but enough that it would hurt. I mean, if he's got, you know, aces or Kings or Queens, I, you know, I think I'm in a lot of trouble there. Right. But you um, could really damage him too, but okay. Yeah, for ahead, sure. Sorry. For yeah. sure. So, and if it's, if it's, it's a call and we're inviting the big blind in for, with that, are we then for sure? I mean, I think we're automatically folding to a big blind shove, um, but then does it mean that if we decide to call this hand, do we also have to call some, some of our premium hands uh, because then otherwise we're completely exploitable to a big blind squeeze. So it's just a spot that I was really, uh, I can tell you what I did, but I'd be curious what you think um, I should have done before I tell you what I did. So, so pay or, jump, pay jump wise, just give me a little bit of context. Uh, let's see. Eighth was, uh, 20, 800, uh, seventh was 3,800 and mm-hmm. sixth is 4,800. And then it goes on. Yeah. Okay. John, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, um, uh, I think I would tend not to try to isolate. Um, I don't think ace six of diamonds is quite strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and the types of hands that are going to call you, I mean, you are blocking them, but they'll often have you dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, at best, you know, you're getting called by a hand like pocket eights, which still has uh, a pair that's over you. Um, well, you might get called by king queen, you know, which is a hand that would be uh, you'd be ahead of. But you're not going to get called by much that you're beating very much, and I doubt that the given that you've already called, um, it, without understanding what the big blind tendencies are like, most players aren't going to raise in the big blind there, mm-hmm. unless they're unless you have knowledge to contradict that. Right. No, this was a pretty uh, patient, more, uh, you know, passive type player. Uh, I, I did not, he would not be raising me light. If he raised me, he's got the goods. Um, so I, you know, in that, that situation, I think that, that the, the calling makes a lot of sense. Um, but and I suppose that that then answers my question, but it does get me thinking about if if I'm going to be calling with a six of diamonds here, do I need to be calling with kings? Yes. Yeah, I, I think yeah. actually calling with hands like kings or aces in particular um, in this exact situation where one player is all in and you've just got one other player going is a great play because you would like nothing better than for them to shove over the top of you. And that gives you great protection. I might even call with hands like Queens, Mm -hmm. um, ace King suited might be a call or a raise some of the time, a call other portions of the time. Um, Mm -hmm. so I do think you need to protect your range. You're right. Um, but I think, uh, I would have a pretty wide calling range here myself. 
So what's the what's the what's the drop off at the point where you're you're shoving versus calling there? Is it jacks? Is it tens? I'm probably shoving with jacks and tens, maybe even nines, maybe eights. Uh, probably not though. Um, so I, I think it's it's the middle range that I tend to do the sho- the middle strong range. I mm-hmm. tend to do the uh, shoving with and then do the calling with the rest of my range. What about what about ace queen ace jack ace 10? What are you what are you thinking there? I don't know. Um, <laughs> in moment in moment I probably call. I don't know that that's the right play. But that's okay. probably what I do. You got a call with with the plan of what you're going to do if the big blind goes over the top and it jams on you. So what are you going to do? If you have ace-jack offsuit, you call, lose, raise. You call, lose, all in. What do you do? I think if they if I get shoved on myself, yeah. um, I'm only calling a raise with ace-queen or better. So I'm folding ace-10, ace-9, ace-8. Yeah, I fold this A6 suited. So do that ace, that ace jack, ace 10, those type of hands, do they become isolation hands? Or now when Lou goes all in, you go all in in the small blind to isolate? Because you still need hands that you're going to do that with. And if you're not going to do it with aces and kings and queens or ace king suited, you know, what hands? Is it ace queen, ace jack, ace 10 type hands? where you've got the uh, ace Broadway and you're going to give maximum pressure on the big blind. So in the situation, I'm going to ask, why do you need to have hands that you isolate with? Well, that is, that is actually one of the things I was, I was actually also thinking about this hand. Do we need a shoving range? Like, is, is it a mistake? I mean, I think it's, it's often a mistake to let the big blind in, but this is a, this is a hand where we might not even mind if the big blind calls and we just check it down and hope to eliminate a player. Um, we're both laddering up at that point. Um, is, do we need an isolation range in this spot? So basically it's the ICM part of it that changes the dynamics there. Because normally earlier in a tournament, you're going to be, you're going to want to isolate. Yeah. Because you don't want somebody else to catch a flop on you by letting them in cheaply. So you generally isolate with that ace king when somebody goes all in with a short stack. You just say, okay, I'm all in with my ace king to make get everybody else to fold. Yep. But now with that ICM consideration. You feel if you let him in, now there's two of you against that one hand, and you have a twice as good a chance of taking him out. And if this person is as passive as you're talking about, that's probably what would happen. Mm-hmm. Probably just check it down no matter what hits. Mm-hmm. Well, in general, if, if there's an all-in player in a dry side pot, most players play very straightforward at that point. So yep. you're not going to have any difficulty with your post-flop play. Yeah. Um, you'll you'll either be ahead or you won't, and you'll know. I like it. So we uh, we just call there. 
Okay, that's what I did. <laughs> so I, I I I think I played it right, but I was I was trying to figure out, um, you know, as I was thinking about this hand, whether I would I probably would have made the mistake then of shoving with bigger hands. Maybe not aces. I you know I think with aces I'm calling, but something like, uh, you know, jacks, queens. I, I'm definitely my my instinct would be oh god I I got to shove here, and I think with ICM wise as I've been thinking about this i think i think this is just a hundred percent calling range with my entire with my entire range that's going to call and i i haven't read all the turns out yet so i feel like i'm behind what happens i'm probably folding here this a six of diamonds all right interesting that's what taylor was saying too did he say that i i I just hate the stack sizes i hate a seven big blind shove that i'm calling off 25 percent of my stack with a bigger stack behind me I don't love it. I think I'm probably ahead of their shoving range, but so I, if if you're on the the um, big blind there, so there's no one behind you, is it a hundred percent call? Then I probably probably call. I probably call. Uh, I think I really have to look at that that player. Is this the kind of player who's going to shove even seven big blinds with king queen queen jack jack ten, or am I drawn to three outs here? Either way, either my ace or I'm drawing to my kicker. Um, you know, I, I mean, believe I, it was a pretty aggressive player. Yeah, it was then, a very then, aggressive player. Okay, We've been then shoving I, a lot. Okay, then I call. Not then getting I, called too. Big blind, I call for sure. But that that's another dynamic then too. Um, if I just call out of the small blind and the big blind knows, because this is a very aggressive player, they've been shoving pretty wide, and this guy's just calling behind. Am I inviting a squeeze play? Mm-hmm. Which, like you said, if I'm doing it with aces or kings, that's great. But right now, I don't have aces or kings. Um, right. You know, and and I get that. You know, maybe it looks strong because I am just calling, but. Uh, that's another consideration too. I just, you know, it's tough because I, you know, obviously I play tournaments. I, you want to chip up. You're looking for those spots to chip up so you can take a run at the, the top three. But is this, is this a good investment of a quarter of my stack? I'm not convinced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big, big blind is not real aggressive. So you're right. not expecting anything out of line from him. Um, if he does raise you, you can easily fold. You've only invested seven big blinds. Yeah, I know, yeah, but ugly. Uh, yeah, ugly. but but if I'm going to put in the quarter of my stack and then fold to a raise, to me that's pretty gross because there's dead money. Yep. You know, if he if he shows me all in, now I'm getting a pretty right, big but if, price. If it's a straightforward player, yeah, no, for sure, that's going to fold if they don't have anything that's better right, than you. Right. Then you're taking minimal risk to. Uh, take this player out, and you a six is probably ahead of the shovers range. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think if he's sure. that straightforward, where he's only going to re-raise with top five or ten percent of hands. The other thing that's protecting me in that case is the fact this is this isn't all in, right? I mean, like I think the squeeze play uh, works a lot better when both people can fold. Right. Uh, yes, because mm-hmm. he's going sure. to have he's going to have to show his hand, so he can't just do it with like six three or something, right? So he's got to have something to shove over the top and squeeze me out. Um, I prefer but, ace five of diamonds than yeah. ace six. Me, me too. <laughs> one of the uh, one of the ace broadways or the uh, ace five, ace four type hand. Uh, yep. Ace six is right there in that. Ugh. You can't make it straight with it. Nope, not agreed. <laughs> well, uh, so I called uh, the big blind thought for a very long time, 
and ended up folding. And then when I flipped over my cards, he said, oh, God. <laughs> so he obviously had a better hand than me, but um, <laughs> he did end up folding it. Um, and um, I spiked an ace on the uh, flop, and it got worse from there. So What, what do you mean it got worse from there? What did the all-in <laughs> player have? Uh, queen 10. And then you and lost? Then, uh, it was ace, jack, four, runner, <laughs> runner, straight. Okay. So. Fun times, right? <laughs> Yay, poker. Um, but anyway, so it's but it's an interesting ICM spot, and I think it's yeah. something where um, I, you know maybe 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 from the small blind this is a fold, but it's something also that you know you're not in these spots as often as you are when you're talking about bubbles and you know early mon and tournaments and all kinds of stuff. These final table spots are really trickier, and yeah, um, they're definitely worth sort of considering were there other shorter short stacks as well so you had like 30 bigs he had like seven bigs were there others uh, that were... there were two stacks like he was definitely the shorty yeah and then there were two stacks um about my stack depth and then there were everyone else had us covered so this put me um you know it definitely sunk me down uh put me sort of second from yeah. the bottom in chips and ultimately led to me sort of going down and down and down. So it, it may have even been a mistake to call this one, but. But yeah, the, like you know, if you win that one, obviously you knock a player out and now you've right. differentiated yourself from yep. you know, the other player. So it's, you know, it's a big ICM spot, win or lose. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. That is an interesting spot. Um, John, so third, go ahead, Chris. Did you have yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to turn it over to John too. Cause John, you had a question about an ICM spot too, that you said was somewhat similar. Yeah, yeah, my well, it's an ICM question. That's what's similar okay. about it, I guess. Uh, so I was playing a tournament. We had 200 players, so there's 3 million chips in play. We're down to 11 players left in the tournament, six ta- players at our table, I believe, five at the other table. Um, I'm, I have 210,000, which is uh, 21 big blinds. The uh, blinds are 5,000, 10,000, with 10,000 big blind ante. Um, and at this point, my ICM, the ICM value of my stack is $2,826. Uh, 11th place at this point pays, um, 700 and some dollars and, uh, 10th place pays the exact same amount, 787 for both 11th and 10th. Uh, then it goes to 952 for ninth, all the way up to just over 10,000 for first. Um, I'm under the gun plus one. I have pocket eights, and I decide to raise. I uh, 21 big blinds is a awful stack size to raise with, but it's too big to shove with. I think with eights, so I raised to 25,000. Two and a half big blinds. Um, then I believe the other guy was on the button, and he shoved all in for 195k. So I have him covered by 15k. Um, he had been getting as the tournament had been going on recently. He had been getting more and more aggressive. Uh, to make it worse, earlier in the tournament, when we were at a totally different table, um, he was like down to 7,000 chips, and I had doubled him up. And, you know, then we 
our table broke. So I was the reason he was still in the tournament because I couldn't finish him off earlier. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so at this point, um, if I fold, I'm down to 185,000 and my ICM value of my stack is at $2,624. If I call and win, I'm up to 405,000 chips. Um, actually, that's not including the big blinds and Annie, so it's probably closer to 430 or something like that. Uh, and that's worth 4,286. And if I call and lose, I'm down to 15,000 in chips and starting stack, exact starting stack. And uh, that's worth $967, supposedly. So, what do you do here? Um, I ran an Equilab simulation, and I think I've got at least 50% equity in the pot. Even if I put them on a fairly tight range, I have 50% equity. I, Depending upon the range I choose for him, I can get up to like 60, 65% even. Uh, probably not, 65 is probably too high. 50 is probably a little low. So it's probably somewhere in that range. So what's the what's the worst hand you think he's doing this with? Um, maybe a small suited connector, eight, seven. I mean, he had been r really ramping up his aggression. Now, not a lot of those hands were shown. So I, he could have just been getting cards. Um, so, you know, eight, seven, maybe even a six, five suited. Uh, I think he's doing it with pocket pairs, definitely down through sixes, maybe maybe lower. Um, all of the big Broadway cards. Uh, the one question I have, I don't know if he would do this with aces and kings or if he would try to milk more value out of them. Um, so I... I don't know what the the right play is here. I think my hand is ahead, but given ICM's uh, considerations and everything, is it worth the call? Or ahead of its range, not necessarily. Right, let me ask. Let me ask a couple questions. Has the table been really aggressive? Um. In very fits and spurts. Okay. Has this has this guy been, uh, you say he's been very um, all-in happy. Has he been doing it uh, when somebody's open? Or is it always when he's the opener, he jams? I don't know. And I wouldn't necessarily say he's been, well, no, he has done a lot of all-ins. <laughs> Uh, okay. sometimes he was just opening. Um, cause you know, your range is going to be a little bit different if you're, if you're going all in over the top of a, of a previous raise. He had done a couple of all in earlier when his stack was shorter, he had done some, uh, open all ins. Uh, 
but I don't think any of his all-ins had been called at this point. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I had actually seen his hands. He had been uh, opened and gotten re-raised and folded a couple of times. Um, so, and it, we kind of had a dynamic where I could see, it felt like he was trying to pick on me. Like maybe he thought I was the spot. I may have been the spot at that table actually. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the, uh, so I don't know, but I don't know if that's real or if that's just my, me making it up in my head. Do, do you, was he, do you think he's uh, positionally aware? Like he, he would um, look at you as uh, under the gun one and, and sort of, narrow your range or is he not is he that not that type of player like he just looks down at his cards and says, hey these are good i'm gonna shove or you know wait. it's it's tough to say because we're also you know six-handed at this point you're kind of in the hijack so, also. you know under the gun and plus one is yeah exactly oh, right, right 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 i forgot that yeah um so i i don't know i i, I played with him a little bit before and he seemed his play when we were on one of the early tables was substantially different than his play here. Hmm. So he had definitely switched gears as we approached the final table. Yeah, I guess I guess my questions would be, um, do, do you have a pers- perspective on what their image was of you based on how you've been playing or if they played with you before? And then what is your perceived skill edge uh, in, the, in the tournament or at that table? Um, at that point in time, it's conceivable that I was the weakest player in the tournament or at best average. Um, I mean, we had Paul Cross sitting on my right. Uh, Matt Alexander had busted from our table just a few players earlier. So that made it a little bit, uh, weaker. Ty Din was still in it. Um, so there were, there weren't. So a bunch of cream puffs. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I may have had a skill edge on one or two players left yeah. in the field. I, I don't think I'm like horribly outmatched, sure. but I'm, um, yeah, I don't know. But, but just, I mean, the reason I ask is, I mean, I never expect you to be fully, you know, overmatched in any spot, but uh, you know, if you had a, if you felt like you had a significant skill edge over that table, then it might be an easier spot to fold and find a better spot. You know, the, you gave your ICM, you know, kind of what happens if you, if you call and win, call yep. and lose and all that stuff. And basically you're, if you're 50% equity, your your expected ICM uh, is the same as if you fold. <laughs> I mean, it basically is yeah. almost exactly that. And so the question is, do you want to accept or reject variance at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your expected ICM is the same. And so for me, then it kind of comes down to if it's all really, really, really close. Uh, for me, a lot of times it comes down to skill edge. If I feel like, you know, I'm going to need to just take my shot here. Uh, I have 50% equity and these players are going to keep putting pressure on me and I'm uncomfortable with that. Then I may be more prone to get it in. If it's more like, you know what, um, either um, I think I can outplay these guys or they're just so crazy. I think I can find a better spot to actually get my double up than I maybe wait. Yeah. Me in a, in a vacuum, I'm, I'm calling this unless, 
The other thing we haven't asked you is, are there any really significant short stacks um, at either of the tables that you're aware of? Like I, so I, I'm not aware. So right now I'm uh, garnishing a sling, which makes me a little slower getting up and down. So <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going over to the other table to uh, figure it out. Um, I don't think anyone was significantly. I think the biggest stack at our table was slightly over 400k and the smallest stack was maybe like 150 160 Mm -hmm. so um so it's fairly fairly close there i i mean if i had won this pot i would have been in the run i would have at least been second in chips at our table if not Mm -hmm. first It's yeah, it's it's close to me. I mean, it's it's to yeah. me, it's a really close decision. Uh, I so probably that, get it in with with eights. That's a it's a pretty good hand. Uh, well, the but, other thing I I look at so twelve or eleventh place paid seven eighty seven. Right. You go up to seventh place. You don't quite even double up. You get to fifteen thirty two, right. and first yeah. place is ten thousand. And right. that that's why none, I'm calling. None of these. I mean, even ten thousand dollars for me is not life-changing money. It is bankroll, <laughs> right? Uh, it's significant. It helps the ROI. Bankroll. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But you know, yeah. um, if I don't, in order for me to really feel satisfied, I probably need to finish in the top three in this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it's going to be a, a bit of a disappointment. Um, that- so, so that. And I don't know that that's right or wrong. That's just, you know, kind of my attitude. I don't need the money from these poker tournaments, but I would really like the glory. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that's huge. I was just going to say that when I tried to interrupt you, and I apologize for that. But, you know, it comes back to why do we play this game? Uh, and there are people that are saying, man, I, you know, I just need to score. If I can make, you know, a couple thousand bucks here, I can set myself up so I can play more tournaments. It's just really important for me to kind of ladder up. And then there's people that are like, you know, trying to get the ROI, max ROI for their investors. And then there's people like you that are saying, man, of course I want the highest ROI possible, but really it's, I want to, I want to, you know, bink a big tournament. And so it, it does kind of come back to what, why are you playing this thing and what's your ultimate goal from a pure ICM perspective? I think, you know, if you're playing six handed and it's your final six players, I think that's a very different thing than you're playing six handed and it's the final 11. Cause yeah, like you said, 784, 787, 952, and of course, picking up, picking, you know, laddering up two or three more spots for an extra couple hundred bucks is nice, of course. But when you're, when your eye is on that ten grand or the glory, you know, the trophy, uh, the respect of your peers, that that's going to skew it your way. So I think from a pure, you know, ICM EV perspective, it's a neutral play either way. So then it comes down to what are you ultimately trying to accomplish? And for you, if it's going for the victory, then Maybe it's a spot to get it in. Okay, so then I guess my questions, the final questions I have, from a chip EV point of view, um, is everyone in agreement that eights is ahead of his range? Well, you yeah, you ran the you ran the. the I did run Equilab, yeah. but I'm just wondering if if my yeah, based on the way you described him, yes. 
I think no. so. I think to me, it comes down to, is this guy going to shove with like five, sixes and sevens? And he's going to shove with like King queen stuff. Um, you know, if, if those are kind of in the range, then I think you're ahead. If it's like, no, nah, this guy's like nines are better and ace queen are better than like, Ooh, I don't think so. Sorry if I cut you off, Chris. No, no, no. I, I, I agree. But based on the description of this player and somebody who has been shoving quite a bit and, and kind of getting, trying to, you know, really use their chips to sort of get them up. I think, I think we're ahead of this range with eights. So I, I ended up calling and the reason I'm, I'm mulling this over so much is one of the things I did in this tournament better than I have done in other tournaments recently is practicing patience. No. So, and this was not the patient play. Uh, the other gentleman had ace jack offsuit. Um, and, uh, spiked the jack and, you know, that was it for that one. Went all in blind under the gun next hand. And, uh, he actually, I got called, of course I had one and a half big blinds, <laughs> shoved blind, didn't even look at my cards. Um, and got called by like four different people. Of course, it was the same gentleman who rivered a flush. As it turned out, I would have won had he not rivered the flush because I had <laughs> queen seven and flopped a queen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was still a fun tournament and uh, uh, a good day. Yeah, those are those are interesting spots. Those ICM things are an interesting spot because it is this it's this tension between I want to chip up and take a run at the top top couple spots. And if I can practice more patience, I can chip up and often find a better, you know, ladder up and, and often find a better spot. I think that's a interesting dilemma. And one of, one of the things I, I keep hearing players talk about at the tables I'm at um, is that, you know, that the structures of these tournaments, especially at places like running aces are really, they're so top heavy that, that they really encourage this kind of play, right? I think that if the structures ever changed and it became a little bit more sort of flat um, between sort of, you know, people, because it is surprising, I think, for people who sometimes make their first cash or make an early cash that you don't even double your money most of the right. time. And I think that that's often a very surprising thing to a lot of people. And then, at the top level, the money is so big compared to that. And I think it just encourages when you're, when all things are equal, it's, it's time to gamble and win a flip, you know? And I think that's sort of how, how this game plays out in some ways. And I think the structure is what encourages that in terms of like the way I tend to see it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's the part that people don't really understand that are especially newer to tournament poker. And it's one of the reasons I always tell people track your stuff. Uh, because at least for me as a, as a data nerd, you know, you can get some great insights. Like when I first started playing tournaments, I played quite a bit. I think, you know, the, you, typically 10% of the people cash in a tournament at running aces. And I was cashing like 26% of the tournaments. I'm like, wow, man, I'm really good. And I had a negative, like a negative 20% ROI. Like, how can that be? I'm like cashing two and a half times as much as I'm supposed to cash. Right. And I'm in there. It's because when I was cashing, like my average cashing was like two and a half times my buy-in. That was my like conditional cashing factor, I called it. Like, so when I did cash, 
my my expected payout was two and a half times my buy-in. And once you realize that, you're like, wow, okay, so there's really not a huge incentive to just cash a lot if you're always going to min cash. And so then I know for me, you know, radically changed. I started cashing, you know, like 15% of the time, but I'd moved to like 9x as sort of my average cashing factor because now, you know, you're cashing far less often, but you're in that top three way more often. And you're right. That's, it's the payout structure. And I think that's the, it's so critical to understand what sort of payout structure there is. And I think it does incent taking, taking on variance at some of those spots like John's talking about 11 handed. I think, you know, especially if it's not life-changing money to ladder up a position or two, this isn't the the main event final table right, where it's a right. million dollars to ladder up one position. You know, I think accepting what you think is a flip is probably the right play in a lot of cases. Yeah, the only thing I thought about afterwards was last year at the Fall Poker Classic, I played three tournaments and final tabled two of them. So another one I busted like way, way early. So you kind of uh, wanted the final table? Well, yeah. So a final yeah. table would have been, and this year I'm only going to play two tournaments. So it would have been nice to get two final tables, but that's, yeah. I can't do that now. And that is, you know, you, you talk about that. And I think, you know, some, some people might, some people might say, well, what's the difference or whatever. And you're, there is a glory piece. And I think a lot of us, I'm, I'm there. I want the recognition. Uh, I just played a tournament. You know, luckily I got second place, but I didn't get the picture. Like it was very <laughs> frustrating, you know, and, and I try to consider myself a humble person, but, I like being there. I like being recognized. And I think it'd be awesome to be at the fall poker classic and get pictured at a final table. I mean, Chris, you just had it, you know, being, being in the final table photo, I think is a pretty cool thing. And so mm-hmm. uh, I totally get that, John. Unless I didn't understand you. Nope. You're all, it's okay. all good. I just didn't have anything more to add. No, no, you're right. You're right. You I'm like, summed it up perfectly. I'm like, oh no, I heard silence. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I just offended John somehow and I don't even know how. You just said it so eloquently. Oh, there was okay. nothing more I could add. Right. No. I basically just said the exact same thing you said, only in words that I could understand. We were all speechless. Oh, I get ready to, that happens to me a lot. Just ask my <laughs> wife and kids. <laughs> Well, good. I mean, this is good stuff. I mean, Chris and John, thanks for bringing this up. Any other, I guess, questions or thoughts from you guys, Rob? My only thing is poker is just a great game. It really is a lot of fun. And, Uh, you know, when you're sitting there, particularly once the money bubble broke, um, you know, everyone kind of lightens up a little bit and people are just having fun at the table. And it's just a good time. I love it too. And I, you know, we come back to what Negreanu said last week too, just, you know, doing it in community for me, that's the life giving part. Like this stuff, this wrestling and, you know, my wife was like, how can you be talking about poker again? Like, I don't know, but I love it. But I think, you know, the idea of, like you said, John, you know, it's so much fun, especially as you get to know more players at the table, wrestling with it, you know, talking to other people about it. And to me, that's what the real rich part of this game is, not just the, the actual dealing of the cards and putting it at the chips. Yeah, totally agree. Well said. All right, guys. Well, thank you. Uh, Thanks again. I'm going to go ahead and do our little outro stuff here. Uh, You're welcome to stick around. Otherwise, you can log off. But, man, thanks for bringing those hands. And uh, as I mentioned before, Ryan LaPlante, uh, too bad he was running deep in a tournament. So he thought it would just be better, more safe to just reschedule. So we'll get him on sometime (laughs) in November. But this was fun. Well, it was fresh to kind of rehash the the FPC stuff. Yeah, it's good to talk about. All right. All right, guys. Take care. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Yeah. Yep. Good night. 
All right, everybody. Well, uh, thanks to the panelists. That was that was super fun. I just love love those uh, those discussions. As I mentioned in the beginning, a few things coming up uh, this Wednesday, October 9th. We have a couple of opportunities for those who are members of Rec Poker, the Rec Poker community, uh, from four to five thirty. Uh, we're just going to have some open hours. I'm just going to uh, be available through Zoom, or you can just telephone in. Uh, if you're more of a beginning player, if you just want to talk about some of the basics, uh, maybe even kind of rehash what we talked about in this episode. If you're like, yeah, some of that didn't really make sense, uh, let's let's take it down a notch. Uh, happy to talk about that, but it's just open hours to talk about whatever anybody wants to talk about from uh, four until five thirty p.m. Central, and then uh, later that evening, again Wednesday night, October 9th, uh, we're doing Chapter Three of the Andrew Brokus book. Uh, playing optimal poker. That's at 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. Central Time. And then on Thursday, we're going to try this. We'll see if it works. Uh, we're just going to have a community kickoff. We're calling it just anybody who is part of the Rec Poker community. Uh, if you're a member, the event link is, is in the site there. From 8.30 to 10, just jump on if you want and just kind of meet uh, the folks that are part of the panel on a regular basis, meet each other, and we'll just kind of hang out without an agenda and just uh, kind of meet each other and see what's going on. Uh, hopefully we'll get some folks from around the world that I know are part of the members. Uh, that'd be fun if that worked out for them. October 12th is a Saturday and we're doing a, a podcast interview on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time. And that is with Alec Torelli. And the reason we're doing it then is because I believe he's in Italy and this is what worked for his schedule. And then jumping ahead a little bit further, October 16th, a week from Wednesday, we're going to do our second breakdown of an MSPT final table. That'll be starting about 6.45 p.m. that night on the 16th. And so all of this stuff is available in the events section of the members area. Uh, if you're not a member and you want to check it out, you can get a one-month free trial. Just go to rec.poker, look for member access, and you can get into it there. Otherwise, just get, on our, get in on our email newsletter uh, every week now. I've been sending out a schedule of what's coming up, and so you can stay in tune that way. Otherwise, follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We try to keep stuff updated on there as well. Uh, so again, thanks to everybody for jumping on here. Thanks to Running Aces, who is our official sponsor. I've been with us from the beginning and all 150 episodes now uh, that they've been supporting us. So with that, uh, signing off on behalf of Chris Jones, John Sonsky, Rob Washman, and myself, Steve Fredlin. Uh, have a good night. Good luck on and off the film. Take care.